From the Amazon to the Himalayas, God is accomplishing his mission. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. Stories and conversations with the global church and for the global church about the mission of God in the world. And now here is your host, Paul Aiken. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. Our guest today is Stephen Dinkins. Stephen and his family live and serve in Nairobi, Kenya, in East Africa. Stephen is a good friend, a really gifted leader, and just a fun guy to, to be around. I'm always encouraged when I get to spend time with him, and I'm just really thankful for this brother and excited to have this conversation today. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Paul. Man, it's exciting to be here. Glad to be a part of the conversation and also appreciate your friendship and your encouragement and just the work you're doing there at Southern, uh, even with this podcast, just to encourage people to be thinking globally about uh, the mission of the church. So thank, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. Why don't you start, Stephen, by just maybe sharing your salvation testimony with us? Tell us how God saved you. Well, Paul, I am old enough to remember when we had RA camps. And uh, I was a, a fruit of those camps down in South Carolina. God was gracious enough to me to put me in a home with two godly parents that, that loved Jesus and had me in church. But it wasn't until I was a, a very young teenager and at RA camp when I realized that church was not knowing Jesus and church wasn't being reconciled. Going to church was good, but it wasn't what made me right. And I remember clearly at, at Vespers, as we called it, up in the chapel there at Camp McCall, RA camp in the mountains of South Carolina, hearing that uh, pastor preach and share the gospel and being clear about sin and uh, how that separated us from the Jesus. And my parents couldn't fix it. My Sunday school a teacher couldn't fix it. My RA leader could not fix it. It was a personal decision uh, of faith to, to trust Jesus. And I remember that night, very uh, even emotionally, just giving my life to the Lord and wanting to be forgiven, but wanting to be right, right? And wanting to follow him and walk with him. And Lord knows I've had plenty of mistakes since then, but that's where it started. And I thank him for the, the grace to have me at that camp and that night with that speaker. Oh, that's awesome. Now, I know you're a, a South Carolina guy. Uh, I think that that's home for you, but you're not living in South Carolina these days. You're living on the other side of the world in Africa, in, in Nairobi, Kenya. So maybe tell us the, the story from, you know, how, how you got from South Carolina to Africa. Well, I was uh, living in South Carolina. You're right. That was home uh, in Sumter with my wife. And we had three kids at the time. And off and on throughout our marriage, we had talked about missions. And at one time or another, we maybe had each individually challenged the other. Hey, is it time? Do we feel like the Lord's calling us to go live overseas now? And it was usually my wife thinking maybe now is the time. And it was usually me saying, I don't know, not, I don't really feel that call that strong right now. But it wasn't always that way. We did kind of go back and forth a little, but it was 2011. So we've been married about 13 years. Sarah has a great and godly uncle who is an elder in his Presbyterian church. And he gave me this little orange book called Radical. This was 10 years ago. And he said, hey, Stephen, I think you would enjoy this book. It's even, I think the guy that wrote it is even a Baptist because he knew, of course, that I was in a Baptist church and he liked to give me a hard time. But I, I got this book and I hadn't heard of David Platt. I was not really following the, the, I guess, the evangelical circle at the time and all that was happening and what was being written. But I read the book and was just severely convicted about my life and the, the dreams I had, the business I was in with a couple of partners. We were doing some 
real estate development and stuff. And I, I had my own agenda and I had things I wanted to do, things I wanted to accomplish. And I was just very convicted about uh, the American dream. And at the end of the day, I knew that I was kind of behaving or trying to behave in a sense, almost like for permission from God to do what I wanted to do and to kind of pursue my program and my, my, my the things that I desired. And so the Lord just starting with that book, hearing other pastors preach at different times. And the Lord just kind of keep reminding me of this message of this call and the nations. And I heard a passage that you have probably heard a thousand times and you may have even preached it, Paul, but uh, on the four soils. And for the first time, I think I, I listened to that passage and I listened to the preacher share and it, I had always just assumed that I was somebody that was a fourth soil person, that I was fruitful, that I was regenerate, I was in the Lord and walking with Him. But as I thought about fruit and what was keeping me from being really fruitful in terms of Christianity and in terms of, frankly, and souls being one, people being attracted to, to Jesus, people coming to know Jesus because of my walk, I was just really convicted that it was being severely limited because of my desire for the world, my desire for things, my desire for my family and what I wanted them to experience. And so, man, just there's a culmination of things. And at the same time, my wife and I are talking. She knows that I'm wrestling with these things. She's wrestling with things. And we actually went to a passion conference and I had been convinced or, or talked into taking some kids from our church, our home church to this conference. I'd never heard of passion, but I said, sure, I'll, I'll take you. We'll go for the weekend and over Christmas break. And so we went and the man just the Lord rocked our world there like he has a lot of people. And uh, that night in the hotel room, Sarah and I just were able to confess to each other that the Lord was calling us to step away from South Carolina to follow him across the world to do missions. And we didn't know exactly what that would look like, but it was just a couple of days later, I was reaching out to the International Mission Board to see where and how we might serve and what would the process be. And it's been a windy road since then with a couple of different stops, but the Lord has brought us in his sovereign plan to Nairobi, where we've been for uh, eight years now. And it's just been a blessing beyond measure. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that story and some of that background. So as you mentioned, you're you're there, you're living in Nairobi today, but your focus, your work is actually is actually broader than just Nairobi and even than Kenya. It's it's kind of encompasses work across East Africa. So maybe you share a little bit about just the the focus of your work and kind of how you're approaching your particular assignment. Yeah, so we are stepping into a new role actually this month with the International Mission Board in East Africa. And we're getting the just tremendous privilege and honor to walk alongside our Baptist missionaries in several different countries in East Africa. What is really unique about the work here is the diversity. We have units that are serving along the coast of East Africa that are in just highly Muslim areas with very Orthodox Islam being practiced very hard soil. We have folks working in rural parts of Tanzania, where they're completely dealing with African traditional religions and, and, and animism and things like that. And then you have people working in urban settings like Kampala, Uganda, where you have all of that mixed together with other diaspora populations that are moving in and immigration happening in sub-Saharan Africa at an extremely high rate. So you've got ministry that's happening in, uh, in big cities, You've got a ministry happening in rural places. You've got ministry happening in, in places that have completely different worldviews with completely different faith backgrounds and trying to, to walk alongside and speak into people's ministry that's dealing with such a so many different aspects. It's, it's a little bit overwhelming at times, but it's also a lot of fun to see God moving in one way or another in all of those places. It's exciting, and we're looking forward to learning a lot more. We're going to need to learn a lot more to, to do and to be part of the ministry that he's doing in all those different places. 
All right. So you, you just talked about some of the context, some of the challenges, some of the things that are out there. You know, one of the things I'd be curious about and kind of shifting gears here in the conversation would be just to, for you to share some about the, the state of the church there in, in Nairobi and Kenya, and then maybe more broadly across East Africa. What does that look like? Is there an evangelical church presence? And what can you tell us about that? Absolutely. I'll speak just to Nairobi. That's what I'm most familiar with right now. And I'll tell you a little bit about what it looks like in this urban context. And that is that there is an evangelical church. It's present. It's not always healthy. And that's not untrue of cities in America either or around the world. So it's not a unique challenge. But there are things about the church in Kenya and in Nairobi that maybe are a little more extreme than other parts. For instance, with so much poverty and slums that are so huge and so many people in need, there is a foothold for the prosperity message to really take hold. And so you have a lot of people imitating prosperity preachers from the West or from other parts of the world here. And you see people so eager to find a way out, to find some kind of hope rather than trusting in in Jesus alone. They're trusting in this pastor or this preacher or this evangelist as they see them to somehow provide them something physical, something material. And so they're giving to a lot of times what, what you and I know are really wolves in sheep's clothing. And just this, it's, it's, it's a real problem. It is not only preying on the poor, but it's infecting the rest of the church. And it ends up seeping in and becoming a part of the culture and uh, finding ways slowly into what would have been and what you historically thought was a healthier part of the church. So that's an issue. But I think there is uh, one of the things that's exciting is that we see a pushback. We see the Lord using various people, various organizations, various African leaders and Western leaders coming in to be able to speak against that and show why it's unhealthy and show what the pitfalls are of that. And we're seeing good response to that. But we're recognizing that, you know, there's so much more that we need to do to kind of to be proactive as it relates to this prosperity message and not simply be defensive, but how can we go out there and actively speak against some of the heresy with diplomacy, with a winsomeness, with a Christ-like word and attitude to be able to point people to the word and show them, you know, what uh, scripture says about suffering and what it says about, you know, picking up our cross and uh, what it doesn't say about material blessings and what it doesn't say about uh, the kind of immediate reward. So that's, uh, that's, that's a, a lot about the evangelical church and some of the, the weakness of it, but there is the good news is there is a, an African church that is growing and uh, some young pastors that are really they have a passion for the word and have a passion for uh, sound preaching and sound teaching and wanting to see their churches grow in a healthy biblical way. So it's not that they're not there at all, it's just that there's not as many of them as we'd like to see as the as we think the, the Lord Jesus would want to see. So how can we come alongside them and try to multiply them, try to help them plant other churches that are like them? How can we do our part to see that grow? What that's up against, though, is it, it's very segregated. Nairobi has representatives from every tribe in Kenya. And like most African countries, there's you know dozens of different tribes or different people groups that make up that that country as a whole. So in Kenya, there's 42 different tribes, 42 different people groups with distinct language, distinct culture, distinct traditions, 
putting all those people together is just messy trying to do ministry and all of that because there's a lot of tribalism. And a lot of times, not only faith, like uh, certain people groups might, or certain tribes are kind of like predominantly Christian, or maybe they're predominantly Muslim. But on top of that, certain people groups might be predominantly a particular denomination within a particular religion. And so trying to wade through that in the city is also a little bit tricky and can be a little bit messy. But trying to understand that and understand that context to go out and really hold the Bible up so that we can show that, so we can preach and teach that there is no tribe, or there's no people group, there is no Jew or Gentile, right, or black or white. There's We're all one in Jesus, and that's the goal, but it's not it's easier said than it is done in a place like Nairobi that's so diverse. And the 42 tribes doesn't even count the number of expatriates that are here, right? From Europe or from China or from America or wherever. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a diverse church with lots of opportunity and lots of potential, but plenty of things that, that we can work on, like everywhere in the world. That's really helpful context and, and gives us some, some, some framework to kind of understand the city and the work there. So you laid out, obviously, the challenges of the prosperity gospel. There's obviously challenges related to just these 42 tribes and tribalism that comes with that. But I would love to, to hear kind of the flip side of that. We know the challenges, but is there anything encouraging? You know, is, is the Lord at work? We know there's people around the world who are praying for you, praying for your, your teams and for your work there. So when you think back on the last two to three years, what are some encouraging things that you've seen the Lord do there? I love that question because the Lord is at work. There is a lot to celebrate. In my time in Nairobi, we have shifted our focus a little bit from having one or two small teams working with particular segments to building a large team with a comprehensive vision and a comprehensive strategy to try to, to reach parts of the whole city. Not that we are the czars of, of, of mission work in the city, but that, that we just have a bigger vision and invite other people to join us and then find our place in that. And since we've been doing that for the last five or six years in Nairobi, it's been really fun to see traction started and to see churches intentionally planted and in many different shapes and sizes. We've had churches formed that might be what you would call a kind of an organic movement where they're meeting in homes or in cell groups meeting at certain you know, places, all the way up to being able to walk alongside institutional type churches, help them plant other churches and help and give them the vision and the training to see their their people catch a heart for discipleship and a heart for evangelism. We've been able to see uh, churches planted in Muslim neighborhoods, but also kind of upper class traditional Kenyan neighborhoods. We've been able to see churches be planted in very in slums and very tough, poor, seemingly hopeless places, but also see it happen in places where they seem to have everything, but they're realizing that they don't have the one thing that they do need in Jesus. And so I don't want to paint the picture that we've seen thousands of churches planted, but in by the Lord's faithfulness, he's been gracious to let us see several churches planted in different areas, just showing us and reminding us of his heart for everyone. He's not just in it for a particular people group or to see them reach more people of their tribe. He wants to see every church reach people from every culture that's in Nairobi. And so when we think about that Revelation 7-9 vision, we know that's Jesus' vision, so we just kind of claim it. And we say, we know, we know that Jesus wants to see people from every tongue, tribe, and language in Nairobi exalting him in, in healthy churches. And not that we've seen it completely at all, but we've seen just enough to, man, he's doing it. He's doing it. We just got to keep our hand on the plow, keep looking for places to join him, keep looking for other partners, and be excited by that. And just, yeah, praise him for the fruit that he has 
shown and that he has brought and pray that he'll keep using us and our partners and other churches and pastors to keep expanding that kingdom. That's really good. You know, I, I liked what you were saying there, that God is at work. We know from the scriptures that he's, he's building his church and he's, he's doing that all over the world and, and praise the Lord. He's doing it in, in a place like Nairobi in many of these different diverse areas, you know, whether it's low income or upper class or Muslim context or whatever it is, it's, it's encouraging to hear what he's doing. Reaching a specific people group with the gospel demands specialized training and a global vision. Southern Seminary supports these ministry goals through theological education that is trusted for truth. A degree in missiology from Southern Seminary provides students with the biblical foundation and theological training necessary to take the gospel into all the world. The program prepares graduates to serve as missionaries, church planters, and ministry leaders anywhere in the world. To learn more about Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, and doctoral degrees available through the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary, go to sbts.edu bgs, or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click the link to the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. There you'll learn how listeners to this podcast can save $40 when applying for classes. The web address again is sbts.edu slash bgs. Now you mentioned earlier that you've been there for about eight years, so you bring a good bit of, of wisdom and experience to this next question. But I would love to hear your thoughts. You know, Nairobi's a well-known city, but what do you believe it takes to do faithful ministry in urban cities like Nairobi. I know now your your scope is a little bit broader into cities like Dar es Salaam or Kampala, Uganda. So in your opinion, based on your experience, what do you think it takes to do faithful ministry in the context of urban cities? Man, that is a big question. And I don't know that I have the answer, but I'll give you some ideas just based on my own struggles and things that I have seen. I think the person or person, the team needs to be flexible. One, they just need to be extremely fluid nimble and able to adapt to whatever the situation is. Because when you're doing ministry in an African urban city, you're going to have some experiences that you might as well be in the bush because you're dealing with people that have just come in from the village and they maybe are kind of living in some kind of informal settlement on the edge of the city. That's a whole different mindset, a whole different context than also working with the professional business class and trying to see movement happen uh, among those types of people that are highly educated, uh, highly successful, at least from a world of a viewpoint and, and kind of being able to juggle those things. It takes a lot of uh, yeah, just flexibility and just knowing you're going to get into those situations is important. Having that expectation that things are going to, you're going to see all kinds of walks of life and you're going to have to be able to shift mentality. There are days where I might be in a, in a slum setting and I'm dealing with just, you know, absolute poverty, uh, but, but loving people and, and, and trying to share and doing discipleship and that afternoon, I might be meeting a pastor on the other side of town for coffee at a Java coffee shop that seems like a Starbucks from America having a $4 coffee. And it's hard to just even begin to put that together in your mind that this is all right on top of one another. So I think there's a certain uh, realistic expectation that you need to be ready to be fluid and flexible. But that's kind of a practical aside. I think on the more strategic side, Paul, people need to be ready to, to have a really big vision. And to think really big, not that they're the czar of missions in the city, right? Not that they're the only ones that need to be thinking that way, but they need to think big so they can be looking for other partners and other churches and they can come alongside a biblical vision, a Jesus vision of what that city can look like when it's turned upside down with the gospel. But you can't think so big all the time that you're not ready to make 
concrete, intentional steps for that day either. So you have to be able to, I think, cast big vision, dream big, pray big, but also know what you're going to do this afternoon and who you're going to be discipling and what you're expecting of that person and how they can be discipling, what tools that you need to be giving them. And what are the reasons, you know, just making that daily and weekly plan to kind of take steps toward the big vision. And I have seen lots of people and I myself have been overwhelmed because it's hard to take the, to have the big vision and dream big and expect God to do big things and pray for him to do big things. But then also remember that you in your own ministry, you've got to go out and do one day at a time, one step at a time. And that can be a little bit frustrating at times, but when you're dealing with the cities in Africa, that's a must. If I could share a quick stat just to help people think about the, the growth, I don't know the, exactly the number, but like five out of the last eight years, something like that. Houston, Texas has been the fastest growing city in America. Okay. Nairobi, Kampala, Dar es Salaam, those are three of eight sub Saharan African cities that are growing twice as fast as Houston, twice as fast as the fastest city in America. People are just immigrating and flocking to the cities and just really numbers that are overwhelming, overwhelming for the infrastructure, overwhelming for the governments, overwhelming for NGOs doing humanitarian projects, and frankly, overwhelming for people like us and for the churches that are here that are trying to have a gospel presence. So, But with that kind of growth, it just takes, I think, it takes some time and a leader to step back and try to think of a bigger vision on how we can do these things and what are the things we can do to make, to leverage our resources for the largest impact. And so, and then if I, last thing I'll say, if you're going to be in anywhere in Africa, you got to love people. You just got to be willing to love people and become a local and ride the Matatu and eat the Nyamachoma. And you got to just get sick and just get over it and just let people know that you just want to be with them and that you're willing just to not be like any other Westerner or foreigner that they have seen. That kind of love for people is what people want to be drawn to. And that's what I think shows even the love of Christ when it, from a gospel standpoint. But even as you're building team, that kind of, I can't, I can't overstress that ability. You can't stay in your nice apartment, wherever you might be. And, and you got to really kind of mix it up and, and be out there amongst the people. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that last part. I think that's really important just about, you know, really trying as much as you can to identify in the local context. And obviously we're never going to be, you're never going to be Kenyan in that fullest sense, but, but you can definitely make strides and efforts to try to identify with those people as much as possible. So that's, that's a good word. I want to throw in a question maybe that, that I, I didn't prep you for on the front end. Love to hear your thoughts. So obviously I'm in a, a theological institution. We're in the process of, of training and sending out lots and lots of pastors and missionaries and church leaders. And so let's just say for a moment, you're able to transport into one of our classes here at Southern Seminary. You have a, a room full of students and, and you're going to try to make a sales pitch on why they should consider picking up, moving their family to East Africa to, to invest in the work there in Nairobi or in Dar or in Kampala or, or, or some other context, Mombasa. What would you say to, to those students? Why should they consider investing their lives and their work there in East Africa? Paul, the, the end vision statement for our affinity, for all of the Baptist uh, workers that are in sub-Saharan Africa, our end vision statement is African churches sending African missionaries to the ends of the earth. That's really what we want to be about. We know the Lord is going to do that. We're not going to do that, but we want to be a part of that. Part of the reason that is the vision statement for our affinity is because we recognize the global trends and where Christianity is growing and where it is retreating. And so all of the stats and all of the 
experts are seeing that Africa and South America, the global South is becoming the center of Christianity moving forward. It's the only two continents that are growing in terms of Christian witness and people that are professing Christ as opposed to shrinking. Africa is going to be the leader of that. Africa is going to have more Christians than any other continent in the next 10 or 15 years. We need not only missionaries working in like zero to one context, but we need pastors and we need theologians who can teach to adequately prepare and equip Africans to take a healthy gospel to the ends of the earth. When we look at all of the unreached people groups, all of the red dots on all of our mission maps, I think it's going to be Africans predominantly who are helping us reach those places. And they're either going to take an unhealthy gospel and unhealthy doctrines with them, or they're going to take a healthy gospel and healthy doctrines and healthy teachings. And as much as we need missionaries who are ready to be church planners and on the tip of the spear, we also need theologians and pastors and teachers who will help equip the saints that are already here to, to pick up that missions banner and help finish that task for the kingdom, not just in Africa, but around the world. That's a, that's a great response. Uh, I, I appreciate you sharing that. All right, this next question is a little bit more personal in nature. It's a question that I ask everybody that I interview and would love to hear your thoughts. And the question is, Stephen, day after day, week after week, and month after month, what keeps you there? And why are you giving your life to this work? I have four kids. My oldest is my only daughter, and she is a junior at North Greenville University down in South Carolina. My next child is my oldest son, Asa. Asa is a senior here at Roslyn Academy in Nairobi. And then I've got two younger boys that are six and four. The reason I bring them up is we just wrestled with this question because as we were stepping into this, this new role, we wanted to make sure that we were going to come back next year because we're going to take a brief stateside. We're going to go home and get Asa moved into university, get him started on that journey. And then we need to make sure that we're ready to come back for another term with our two younger sons. Were we really ready to do that? What's keeping us here? So I tell you that story to, to tell you that the, the, and my answer is, is fresh because we've been wrestling with that. We've been praying with that. And it really goes back to the word. And when I think about the vision that God has for not only Nairobi, not only East Africa, but really the world, there's a lot of work to do. I think about Matthew 610. He's teaching us how to pray. He says, pray that my kingdom would come and my will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what does that look like? I think about Revelation 7, 9, which of course our company holds up as our kind of our banner that people from every tongue, tribe, and nation would, would be exalting Jesus. I mean, he actually wants that picture to happen in Nairobi and in Kenya and around the world. And how is that going to happen? Then I think about Romans 10. They can't believe if they don't hear. They can't hear if people aren't preaching and people can't preach unless they're sent. And the Lord just kept keeps it heavy on our heart that we're called to do that. We're called to be a cross-cultural witness. We're called to not only be doing it ourselves with our own lips and our own mouths and our own words to be sharing the gospel, but be equipping and catalyzing others, Kenyan brothers and sisters and East African brothers and sisters to do the same thing, that, that people might have a chance to hear, that they could believe, that they could be among that multitude in heaven that's going to be around the throne. And I can't, as we talked about maybe going back to the States, we, we could not figure out for us Right. There's a there's a place for you at Southern. There's a place for pastors at churches in America. Absolutely. But for us, the Lord just wasn't releasing us from that 
burden and that passion to be a part of what he's doing on this side of the world. And the way I described it to one person was that for us, it would be disobedience that to, to go back to, to something else. This is, it just made it clear for us. This is kind of what, what we're supposed to do. And I imagine one day we'll feel some sense of release. I don't think I'm going to you know, retire at seven years old in Africa. I don't know that, but one day things might change and he might call us to a different work in a different part of the world. But for now, those three verses, uh, what God wants to happen, what that's going to look like and how it's going to get there is what keeps us wanting to be part of what he's doing around the world. Stephen, thanks for, for sharing, just kind of being honest and transparent there, sharing that response with us. And, and thank you for your time having this conversation. My last question for you is, you know, there's a lot of folks who might be listening to our conversation. What's one thing you want everyone listening to this podcast to know or to do? Well, since you threw an extra question in and you didn't warn me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you two answers to that. I'm going to give you two things I want them to know or to be thinking about. I mean, the first is like just from my ch- being challenged spiritually. I would say uh, I would love for everybody to be thinking about 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. Paul tells Timothy to be faithful to train faithful men who will then train other men. It seems simple. And a lot of our listeners are so godly. They're already doing these things. Uh, they're way ahead of me. But it took me a long time as a follower of Jesus to really cue in on that verse and realize that it's not enough for me just to sit in on Bible studies and learn more about God. It's not enough just to go sit under a great pastor and, and really be taught you know, from the word. It's not enough to go to seminary and receive all this information. I've got to be, I don't think this is specific to Timothy, but I've got to be taking that and training other people. I've got to be sharing with other people. I've got to be a, a conduit of the word of God, a conduit of these teachings so that other people can experience and then teach other people. You and I are here today having this conversation because many people between Peter and our parents shared the gospel repeatedly and disciple people to disciple people. So we got to hear the word and receive it ourselves. Um, am I also part of that? All of us, are we finding ways to invest in other people in a way that they would also see that challenge and see that call to share with other people? The second thing I would share uh, that I would want everybody to know is that the Sub-Saharan Africa has these urban centers that are growing at a big rate, like I, like I mentioned earlier, just an, an unbelievable rate. And we're trying to develop urban teams around uh, the continent to be able to strategically, uh, intentionally, biblically create strategy to take the gospel to these places and see the gospel footprint grow. And in particular, Dar es Salaam is, a, we think, a super strategic city. It doesn't get the, the glitz and the glamour of Nairobi. It's not maybe as developed commercially or financially as Nairobi, but it's almost twice as big as Nairobi, and it's growing faster than Nairobi. It is on pace to be the the second largest city in Africa in just a few years, and it's going to be one of the top five cities in the world in terms of population by like 2050. We have a, a unit there, but they're also focused on doing work down the coast of Tanzania as well. We're looking for some teammates to be able to land in Dar, to grow some roots in Dar, to build a big, vibrant team, diverse team in Dar, to work alongside the believers that are there, to work alongside what God is already doing, and to really uh, see things happen there that can impact not only Tanzania, but all of East Africa, and frankly, the rest of the continent and even the globe. So we're looking for people that have a heart for places like that, that are they're looking to be in an urban setting and, and take what they're learning in a place like Southern or other seminaries in the States and come and really make an, a, a life investment to see the gospel go in these cities. 
I hope you enjoyed hearing from Stephen today. Please pray for him, for his work in Nairobi and all across East Africa. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu slash BGS, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.